in the scripture, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. The peace of God surpasses comprehension. The glory of the new covenant surpasses the glory of the old in reference to the Mosaic law. The glory that will be revealed to us at the second coming of Christ surpasses the present sufferings of life. And so in four instances, we see the word surpass. And we find out, if we think about it, that there's a lot of comparisons in the Bible. A lot. God tells us, you can have this or you can have something better. Uh, Oftentimes, God references us settling for things that are not His. In other words, they're available uh, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you know any other low-hanging fruit that we could grab hold of that is not of God. And, and we settle for it. And then God compares it to that with, with which we could or for which we could reach ahead for. And if we reach ahead, you know, God has not set us all one against another in terms of like a competition or a race, even though Paul does reference a race, it's not a race against others. It's, um, it's really a competition with what is available that is to us that is either sinful or not of God compared to what we can truly reach ahead for. And how we reach, God shows us. It's by faith. By faith, we pick or reach ahead for what God desires and uh, therefore what he provides for us is the ability to desire what he desires. And this is a great compliment to us because to be able to comprehend what God desires and then actually choose for it is something that's way, way, way above us as human beings. But we find that if we do reach ahead for what God provides, we find the ultimate of humanity. And what I mean by that is what God desired humanity to always be. That surpasses what man settles for, man and women settle for in time, and call it human. God also says we have to work for it. We think, well, you know, uh, all right, so we have to work for it. Is that works and not faith? But he actually says the work is faith. That faith actually opens up the energy of God. It's like a valve. You know, it's full throttle. And if you open it wide open, then all of this energy pours into you. And the key, or really the handle on that valve, is our faith. God says, if you have faith in what I say and what I do, and do what I say and what I do, then I'll pour my power into you. Now, when have you ever felt like so energetic been a long time, <laughs> right? When's, when have you felt like so energetic and so desirous to just run, to go, to run, to do something? Is it hard to do if you're filled with energy? Like Those are the young days, you know, when you're young. Did you were like so full of energy that you just had to run somewhere. It's not hard to do. It's actually a relief to release the energy. That kind of life surpasses what mankind settles for. And that's what we look at today. The ultimate goal and purpose, the ultimate goal of our purpose and our work, what is that? Because if you know what that is, then you're going to find yourself filled with energy to do it. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're finally going to finish this chapter here uh, between today and tomorrow. We'll open up in prayer and let's be grateful and thankful to God for His grace, forgiveness, patience, and also for, the, uh, for His Word that reveals to us these wonderful truths that we can just continue to take in and and try to comprehend and understand the wonderful life that he has provided for us. So in humility, let's bow our heads and pray.
Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you that you you alone are the means by which we thrive, the means by which we can see and hear and do. There's a reason why we do and and can do what you've supplied for us, and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. It is through him and him alone that we can know you and see you and know that and see you in our hearts is what I mean and that we know that our future is with you and that it is certain. And so, Father, this future is to affect us now. The future that we can barely see but know is full of glory is to affect our lives now. And so we ask, Father, through your Spirit that our lives would be that affected so that we may continue to choose you over the temptations that um, pull us to choose other things. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the, um, the issue that we confront today is really purpose. And, and Paul uh, finishes this opening chapter with that purpose. We've seen in this chapter that uh, Paul uh, is thankful for the Thessalonians. He commends them greatly. He says this of no one else, that he boasts about them. And how in the first letter he told them to increase in faith and to increase in works and increase in love, and that they did. And so in the second letter, he says, you have done so. You have increased in faith and increased in love. And he recognizes and acknowledges that they did this in the midst of great amount of persecution. The persecution came from their family, friends, neighbors, and so on, who were still pagans and wanted them to return to paganism. And then Paul encouraged them with the the truth that Christ is going to return, and that when Christ returns, those who persecuted them are going to be repaid in kind. And that... Therefore, while they were doing wonderful wonderful at loving their enemies, this is basically what they were doing, is that they, they were also leaving, and they had to leave, the judgment of them. Because you're, we're always tempted to revenge, to even in our minds, and this is true, if we think it in our minds, we're just dreaming about the revenge that our enemies are going to get. It's the same as if we're doing it. And Christ made this clear. He didn't say it concerning revenge, but he said it concerning love and and marriage. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you think it, you did it. If you lust after that woman to commit adultery, you've committed adultery. If you hate your neighbor, then you don't have love, even if you didn't do anything personally against them or verbally. And so it's the same for us. And the reason why God does this for us and, and, you know, the reason why there's a reason why he tells us that Christ is coming back to judge the unbeliever, to judge those who persecute, to judge those who have disobeyed the gospel is so that we'll be like God. You know, this is not about us doing things that God wants us to do. And I mean, it is about that to a certain extent, but there's a higher purpose to it. And that's what Paul finishes with. And thank God he does. You know, so if we ended where we, you know, say the letter ended there and then the whole thought ended at, say, verse 10, we would think that, well, actually somewhere around verse 9, but we would think, you know, God just wanted to show off in a way and, and have humans who couldn't do good things. Now they can do good things. And say, look at them. Look at how good they are. And that was the whole purpose to it all, was that God had good things to do, and maybe he didn't want to do them himself, so he created us to do them. So what he wanted was a bunch of good little servants running around. But there's a much, much higher reality to this and purpose to this, and that's what Paul brings out here. While the second coming of Christ is going to bring judgment upon some and relief to us, As we see in verse 10, that we are going to be 
that Jesus is going to be glorified in us, and in us we are going to marvel at him. When? When he comes. So there's a word glory here in verse 10. And so we have it also in verse 12. So that. And so in verse 12 is, is the conclusion to the thought. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. And not just that, you and him. Glorified together. Not as glorified alone. That would be God you know, making a project out of just humans and saying, look how great I made them, and they glorified them. So there's no image in the Bible of mankind glorified. You know, alone. Just us. You know, a whole bunch of really pretty shiny people on a hill that God says, look, these are my children. Aren't they cute? You know, aren't they wonderful? Aren't they pretty? Those are mine. (laughs) You know, it's like parents who have good, smart, attractive children. You know, be like, look, that's my kid out there. That's my kid scoring goals. You know, that's, that's my kid. Um, you know, doing great in school. And does God want to glorify humanity? Not necessarily. But what he says here is that we're glorified in Christ. So the ultimate, it's, and it really what's highlighted here is not the glorification of mankind, but the glorification of one man and us with him. Again in verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, this is by grace. But with this, uh, what I, I ran to the end here, but it's really in verse 11 that Paul writes out, not a prayer, but he tells them what he prays about. In verse 11, he says, to this end also we, meaning him and Timothy and Silas, We pray for you always that, and here's the first petition. There's two things he's going to mention here. That our God will count you worthy of your calling. That's the first petition. And secondly, and fulfill every desire for goodness and design. The goodness and the work of faith are one thing here. You can't have one without the other. So we're going to put these in two petitions. And fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, in you, in him. So, in the context of the returning Lord, which is this whole chapter is, Paul prays that the, that the future, and their certain future, which is our certain future, would impact the present reality of our hearts. If... We know, and what we looked at yesterday was this, this city that we seek or are longing for, which is the New Jerusalem, um, the, the second coming of our Lord, the end of all suffering and tears and death, the end of death um, and, and into eternity where there's no more sin and evil and death and we find ourselves in our resurrection bodies uh, ultimately uh, seeing for the first time really in the fullness that we will see the glory of Christ and with him be glorified. That that is a future that is really exciting and we long for it. But as we've been saying, and Paul here finishes with, that that future is supposed to impact our today, meaning right now, today. And, you know, that future far surpasses anything that happens to me today, even if it is personal sin. If I committed a sin today, if I failed in an area, say you failed in an area that you were sure that you had already overcome, those are are hard. (laughs) They're hard to swallow. And, you know, or someone failed you or whatever, you know, whatever the situation was, it was a hard day or a hard situation. The reality of the future is supposed to, as I started with, surpass that. There's a glory that surpasses present suffering. So Paul tells them that he actually prays for this. That he prays that the future would have its proper impact on the present. And therefore, because Christians get all, they get all excited. Uh, Some of them do. I, I don't as much, but... 
they get excited about eschatology. And eschatology is the study of the last days. Oh, when Christ's going to return? When's the rapture? And then, and all of that, what's going to happen? You know, deciphering or trying to decipher the images in the book of Revelation and so on. And, uh, you know, with the, and you can do all that, and that's fine, you know, if you have time to do it. Um, <coughs> but it's very easy to forget that eschatology is supposed to have a present ethic. You know, it's supposed to impact how I live. I could be an expert at eschatology and, you know, not love others, not do good, not have faith that expresses itself in works, not truly have a desire for God's purposes now. My head is so into, like, Antichrist and Beast and 666 and all that in the book of Revelation or in Daniel or in other things in the prophets, and I'm not even concerned about my purposes for today. And Christians find themselves doing that. And uh, and they miss it, therefore. You know, they miss the whole purpose. The purpose of eschatology is to affect us now. The purpose of eschatology was never for us to decipher every single detail of it, because we can't. God doesn't give us all the details. There's so much that he doesn't fill in. Now, the images that he uses, they could be... Many things. And yet, we can forget that it's not us figuring out every single detail about what is to come, but it is what is what we are revealed about what is to come is to have its impact on us now in terms of purpose and faith. And then, if you get that, if there's things about eschatology you still haven't figured out yet, it doesn't really, you know, you say, i got time, you know, and you do. You have time to figure them out. <laughs> it, maybe you do. I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out some of them. And uh, not not that, you know, I'm, I'm the one who has spent a whole great deal of time trying to. But, I mean, I have spent quite a number of hours trying to discern or decipher um, things about the future and yeah, it, it, my head hurts even thinking about it, even thinking about it now. So anyway, what he prays is that our God, here's the first one, our God would count you worthy. Now, this translation can be a little tricky because counting worthy seems to say in English that I'm meriting being worthy. In other words, I'm the one doing the works, I'm a good Christian, and hopefully you are, and, you know, I'm doing the work faithfully and I'm, I'm, I'm living the Christian life. And because of my work and my merit, God counts me worthy. But that's not what the word means. It actually never means that unless the only time, and this word is used for the Lord Jesus Christ uh, several times, worthy. And when it says Christ is worthy, it does speak about his person. But God never says you're worthy because you're awesome. Uh, God here is, and this is what the first petition is, the first petition is that we would live worthy of our call, not become worthy people. We can't become worthy people. God came to save the sinner. There's nobody worthy, and he made that clear. No one is worthy God says things like, all have gone astray like sheep. God says things, and all, meaning all of us, there is no one who does good, not even one. God called every believer by grace, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So it is by grace that you have been saved, and you've always been unworthy, and we're still unworthy, but we can live worthy of our calling. And there's only one way we're going to do that. But that's the first thing that Paul prays for. In light of the future coming of Christ, in light of the future new Jerusalem, in light of the future new heaven and earth, and also even the millennial reign of Christ when he comes again and judges all and establishes his government on earth in fulfillment of all the covenants to Israel, that we are to live in a manner worthy of what we've been called to. 
So to do that, by grace, through faith, must always be humbly. Humility is a definite foundation of this. Because of our call. Notice it's live worthy. Let's get Paul, let's read it, New American Standard. That God will count you worthy of your calling. And calling there means election, and election means, well, we've been called to be holy and blameless, but we're called by grace. Uh, By grace through faith. And being by grace through faith, there's no way that even if we do live up to the worthiness of our calling, that we walk in the manner worthy of it, that we could ever take any credit for it because we didn't call ourselves. We didn't elect ourselves and there was no merit in us that warranted that election. We're elected because we believed in Christ. We're elected before the foundation of the world because we had faith. And I know there's a theological conundrum there that you know I don't normally touch that. We've talked about it plenty of times. But the truth is that in time I had faith, which is faith in Christ, not in me. It's not, a, it's not a merited faith. It's a faith that is, I'm unworthy and there's only one Savior and I put my life in His hands and really His work on the cross. And so, you know, when am I ever worthy in and of myself? And the answer is never. And that's it. It's foundational, but it's super important to remember because Christians, once they start really getting some momentum in the Christian life and start doing good things and they can see it in themselves almost looking into the mirror of their souls and saying, wow, I'm actually living in a, in a divine, loving manner. And then the next, very next thought could be, wow, I'm really awesome at this. And then you're, you're doomed. <laughs> you're not eternally doomed, but you're on your way to not being that Christian anymore. Right? We start thinking, hey, maybe I'm good. Maybe. The other people in the world don't get it because there's something special about me. Mm -mm. They've just rejected it for whatever reason. That's between them and God. Is there something about you that caused you to believe the gospel? There's something special about you. You're a little bit smarter. You're a little bit more humble. You're a little bit more of a sinner. Right? And none of those things are true because everybody's a sinner. We don't know why some believe and some don't. But what we do know is not one of us is worthy of it. And so humility, one of the many virtues that are about this life, is foundational. There are other things, too, that really comprise the new city. We saw those yesterday, the things of excellence that we're supposed to set our minds upon. Now, worthy is a word that's it's axios in Greek, and it comes its uh, root meaning is weight, uh, not w a i t w e i g h t, meaning a weight that like you'd put on a scale to see how heavy something is, and that naturally turned to become uh, the word for value. So axios means value, which. Um, Um, evolved into worthiness. The word is used concerning Christ as a person, and that makes perfect sense. But why us? What value do we have? Worthy means value. If Christ is worthy, that makes sense. He has ultimate value. But what about us? If on our own we could do something worthy of the election of God, think about it. If one person could do one thing, and I even mean one thing worthy of election of God, of the election from God, that would be something. That person on their own would be like a god. In all mythologies, there are demigods. And demigods are like, they're like semi-gods, really. They're kind of human and godlike. Uh, the gods sometimes procreate with humans and they make these things. I guess they could call them things. They're not real people. But Achilles, like the famous Achilles who defeated Hector and has the Achilles heel and all of that. He, he's one of those. He's the, the son of a sea nymph or something. 
but whatever. You know, I'm, and it, but the re- I use mythology because mythologies are written by mankind in ways that make sense to man. But really, they're wonderful stories because they're written by people who, you know, they want they want to attain to in their stories the good. Right? And I do mean good in terms of what's used here in our passage is goodness. And they want that. They just don't know how to get it. So they write these wonderful stories. And the reason why I bring that up is because a demigod or somebody like Achilles, it's, he's almost so good on the battlefield, he could fight a god. Other people that can really almost touch the god, gods if you're Greek, could climb Olympus, you know, and be with them. In some of the stories, humans are made into gods. They have to drink a certain nectar or something. And uh, is that possible for us? The answer is no. Not a one. Not the best of us. No one could do one work to make them worthy. So when when Paul prays and God says this of us, uh, that we are to live in a manner worthy, how in the world could we be worthy when Christ is worthy? And that is because God works in us. On our own, we can do nothing. Look, even as regenerated, made brand new creatures in Christ, on our own, we can do nothing divine. Nothing. I'm a new creature in Christ. I can say, God, thanks for making me so new. I'm new. Uh, and take a seat, God, and watch me work. I don't need you. I don't need you. I'm going to impress you now. And that's not going to work. It's not ever going to work. On your own, as a believer, you cannot do the works of God. And it's marvelous because God is, as much as God, He's entered us in union with Christ, God indwells us. We're made righteous and holy. We're elected. So many things are done for us. And yet, Without God right now working through us in real time, we can do nothing. Jesus said it, without me you can do nothing. You have to abide in me. He says this to believers. So God works in us. And when does he do this? In our passage, when our purpose is his. Uh, now I love the word purpose here, the way it's used. The purpose is... Uh, like, right, yesterday we talked a little bit about dictionaries and what words mean. And purpose is a grand word. It has so many nuances to it. Purpose means what I will to do. In that word is motivation. In that word is desire. In that word is what I think is good. Right? I could be purpose after something that I think is good that's not good. Because I'm ignorant of what is good. But if my purpose is correct, meaning it's the same as God's, then he can work in me. And this is why worthiness is one petition here. But purpose and faith go together. If if my purpose is going to be God's purpose, I have to believe in what the Word of God tells me is the right way. Why do I need that? Because my flesh in this world are going to tempt me constantly into another way. My flesh is going to tempt me in ways that say, look, 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 it's okay for you to take a break here. You know, it's, it's okay for you to get mad right now. It's okay for you to be bitter right now. It's okay for you to judge right now. You deserve it. They deserve it. Right? It's okay for you to jump into that lust and get physical satisfaction from a certain thing that you've been addicted to. No, it's fine. Right? You've been good for a long time. Jump back into it. The flesh is constantly tempting. The world is constantly tempting. And Satan's orchestrating the whole thing. That's me orchestrating, by the way. And, and so we constantly have to apply faith to the way. And when we apply faith to the way, God works in us. This is how God says it works. 
You put faith in me, you put your mind in fellowship with my mind, which is another way of saying purpose, and then I will open the valve. I will work in you. That's the deal. That's how he says it. Right? In, in this way, we are, are um, we're, we're telling, we're, it's not a switch. Right? We're not turning God on and off. We're either going with Him in His way or we're not. It's not like we have control over God and we can turn Him on and turn Him off. God is going to work on us even if we are going the wrong way. Thank God He does. It's called discipline. And, and you know, other corrective measures. But what, what we do here is through obedience, which is setting our purpose and faith on him, is that he will work. And when he does so, there's a reason why we want this. We talked about this yesterday, and Paul brings it up here at the end of this paragraph, is that the future the future coming of Christ, my future life in a resurrection body in eternity in the future city without sin and evil, that is my destiny. And that destiny must manifest itself in me today. That future, not this world and not this flesh. I'm not going to have this flesh anymore. This is temporary. I'm in this body that wants me to do the wrong things. And it's temporary that I'm in a world that complements the wrong things and uh, promotes the wrong things. And it's temporary that this place is ruled by a creature who loathes that which is good, Satan. All of that's temporary. But God has allowed me to walk a path through such a world knowing the next world. Not everything about it, but how that it's fact full of the glory of Christ. It's a great way to describe it, is the glory of Christ. That is the future kingdom. And so as I walk through this life now, I can be what God ultimately created me for. That is purpose. And when my purpose lines up with His, and I will, by my faith, to do the work that He tells me to work, you're still here, right? Yeah, look at, look at it again. We also pray for you always that God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith, notice that last prepositional phrase, with power. Where do you think that power comes from? Never in the scripture is our power in view, man's power. I shouldn't say never. If it is in view, it's always in a negative way. This is the power of God. My faith work. Notice it's not just I believe and I sit around doing nothing. No, this is faith that works, just like James. James chapter 2, I think it's verse 14, isn't it? Faith without works is dead. That This exact same thing here. This is a faith that works. It does. It does what faith uh, God wills to do. So we have a desire for goodness. That's the purpose of God. And a faith that does work, and when those things are together, the power of God flows through. And this is what God promised. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2.13. So how can we be worthy, or rather as uh, stated here, uh, worthy of our calling, as Paul puts in Ephesians 4, walking in a manner worthy of our calling, if we're not Christ, and we're not worthy of anything. So I'm going to do this backwards. First, the second part. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 is one sentence in two parts. And the second part is in verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. By the way, that's the same exact Greek word that Paul uses in 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Notice that he's in you. It's God at work in you. Same word here. And that he is working to his own good pleasure. 
for his will. Now, his will is his desire. And that's great. So, if it were just that, then I turn into some sort of robot or uh, a puppet in God's hands. And he's like a marionette, is that what it's called, where he's just using you and just walking you along and making you speak and making you do. And the whole reason is, is that he just has a lot of work to do down here and he wants little minions to do it. Right? What's the, what's the whole point of doing a whole bunch of good works in a world that's going to be doomed anyway? What's the point? This whole place is going to burn to nothing. Well, there is a point. It's a grand point. And it's not just for us to do a bunch of work. Now, some will hear that and say, oh, thank God, because I don't want to do anything. And, uh, well, you, if that's how you want, if you want to stop there and interpret the New Testament that way, you're going to be judged by God. I hope you're right. I can tell you you're wrong and that you'll be judged for it at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, just because it's not the ultimate purpose doesn't mean that we don't do it. You know, if you were to, if you were, you know, they said, uh, my analogies are falling apart. You know, say if I'm going to make a cake, I've got to crack eggs. You know, say, well, my whole purpose isn't to crack eggs, but you have to crack the eggs if you're going to make the if you're going to make the cake. So just do it. The whole purpose of the experiment isn't just eggs out of their shells. We've got work to do. Is it the ultimate purpose why we do it? Just the work itself? No. But we still have to do it because if we don't, we don't get to the purpose. So, this is, however, why we're worthy. Because God is in us working. So that's worthy because it's Him. God is really doing the work. And so, yeah, the work that we do is worthy of being called divine. But we're not puppets in His hands. We're not vessels that are just <coughs> used. <coughs> we are vessels that are used for honor, but we don't lose ourselves. We don't become mindless. We don't lose our consciousness. As Paul begins this wonderful sentence, we see the involvement, our involvement in doing good, which in that doing meaning all that God would do in us. So back in verse 12, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so, as you have obeyed, work out your salvation. Now, this work out... Is a, word, is a phrase that means bring to completion. That would be a better translation here because it seems that we're working for our salvation when we're not. We're <clears throat> maturing our salvation is what it really means. Bringing to an end or maturity our salvation. And we do that with fear and trembling. So in this case, it's just like back in Thessalonians. We keep maturing. Paul commended the Thessalonians that their faith increased and that their love increased. And here our maturity increases in fear, meaning not afraid of God, but in the fear of God. <clears throat> meaning I submit to his authority. He is far, far greater than I am. And I'm not going to mess around with his commandments. That's the fear of the Lord. I'm not going to tempt God. That's the fear of the Lord. I desire to please Him. I do not desire to use this life that He's given me that has an ultimate end in the new Jerusalem and in the new heaven and new earth in a manner that is unworthy of what I've been called to. I don't want to do that to God and to myself. That's fear of the Lord. <clears throat> and because of that, I obey. That's the fear of the Lord. Our part, just like it has been in the Old Testament always, was to fear, obey, and do justice, to do good, to do righteousness. 
Righteousness by faith, justice by faith, love by faith. The Old Testament saints were told to do the same thing. <coughs> Excuse me. And work out means to bring to completion, as I said. So Paul links our present worthy conduct with our future glory in Christ. All right, so that's, that's in 2 Thessalonians. And you can go back there. We'll turn back to our passage. <coughs> so this is a worthiness right, of our conduct which has in it uh, this, our, our first peti- his first petition, to walk in a manner worthy or to be worthy and to live worthy of what we've been called to. This is in light, again, of the future glorification of Christ that is second coming and our being revealed with him in glory. So this glory is God's glory, Christ's glory in us, and that is why we can live worthy. We live worthy. We never actually became people who merit God's blessings and therefore on our own we're worthy. Paul's second petition has two parts. And fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So there are two thoughts here. The first one is to desire goodness. And that, of course, would be goodness as defined by God, not by man. And the second part is the work of faith and the power that comes with it comes from God. So it's a faith that works. So we have a desire for goodness and a faith that works. A faith that does. A faith that lives. <clears throat> and these two, you know, it, it would be one, a second petition because you can't separate them. If I have a desire for goodness, I certainly have a faith to do what goodness calls for. Um, let's say I have a desire for goodness, I just never do it. <laughs> you know, I, I really want to be good, but I, you know, it just sounds so hard. I'm not going to do it. That is not what we're after here. That that's a you know. Can you imagine God? I purpose to save mankind. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to let them all burn in the lake of fire forever. Now, that is not a purpose that is worthy of being called a purpose. <clears throat> so, the same for us. If you have a purpose for goodness, and that's God's goodness, and, and goodness is a broad term, right? You know, what's good? There's a lot of good things. Think about all the good things that God has done all throughout the history and the writings of the Bible. I mean, it's endless. <clears throat> So there is a purpose or desire for goodness. This uh, desire is a word, the Greek word, eudikia, and it means well-pleasing. It means to desire good. So we actually, and then um, a genitive of a word goodness, it's an adjective. And so we have a, a good desire for goodness, literally. And the re- it doesn't work in English. It's translated fine. Desire for goodness is fine. But it, it misses this, you know, in the Greek there's a doubling of the word good. Both these words start with E-U in this prefix, and Greek means good. And <clears throat> these are, uh, the, wor- the goodness is emphasized here. A good desire for goodness. So the purpose for good in the scripture is almost always in reference to God. It's hardly ever in reference to us. And so that's why some commentators think, well, this is God's desire for goodness. Okay, it may be. It may be that's what Paul wants. Uh, Or is it our desire for goodness? Which is more, I lean more towards that. But it doesn't matter. Because if it's God's desire for goodness and we don't desire it, then what's the point? You know, we're to live worthy. And how could we live worthy of what we've been called to if we don't desire the good that we've been called to? So whether it's God's goodness in, in light here or that uh, Paul is emphasizing or ours doesn't really matter. <clears throat> God's desire for goodness in us would not be fulfilled 
if we did not desire it, and especially desire it more than we desire sin. Right? There's things that compete for our affections. The flesh, the world, and the devil, they compete for our affections against God, and therefore desire and purpose are really important words for us. They speak of our will, our wants, our desires, our purposes. And if we desire something else, and I'm sure, you know, either you're going through this now or you have gone through it, that something else, you are loving something more, something else more than God. <clears throat> and it wreaked havoc in your spiritual life. Now, addicts, they're Christians who are addicted to things, and they're they desire the thing more than they desire the, the than they desire God and walking with God, and that becomes a huge problem in the spiritual life. But you could desire your own anger, your own dreams, just selfishness. You know, it might not it might not be defined as an addiction in this world, but in a, yes, it is. It is certainly an addiction. It's an addiction to a certain sin in a certain category, <coughs> and we must not. Allow that to supersede our desire for God and his will. So we have a purpose for good. Now, what certainly goes with us all the time is faith. God doesn't need faith. God is the reality, but we need faith. And so that second part always goes with us. So Paul's wording when it comes to faith is the work of faith, meaning the faith of the new life. Uh, faith in the new life manifests itself in work. This is not the faith for salvation. We already have that. This is faith in the life that God has given us. So it's faith in um, this way of life, the new and living way, and the deeds that manifest from it. Again, I quote, James, faith without works is dead. That's exactly what's here as well, a faith that works. When we have a faith that works and a and a desire that matches up with God's desire, then God pours His power into us. That's when we get back to Philippians 2, where he says, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work His good pleasure, when you obey. <coughs> All right. So, now back in 2 Thessalonians 1, look at verse 11 again. To this end also, we pray for you always that our God would count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So that, now so that is a henna, it's this Greek word, always introduces, I think always, maybe not always, I'd be careful about saying it, but it usually introduces a purpose clause. You know, and so that is a purpose, right? And the purpose to this is not just that we do work, not just that our desires have been changed from flesh and world to God, but that we, what? Glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And therein lies the ultimate goal. And that's why it's not just about us doing things. <clears throat> the Bible uses comparisons all the time. You know, there's that a fortiori thing. How much more, if this thing is true, how much more is that thing true? The Bible does that quite a bit. Here it's doing it same, something similar. And the fact that, yes, it's important that you have faith. Yes, it's important that your purpose is aligned with God's and that your faith does works and that so you do that. So the power of God flows through you. But to, there's an end goal to that. And if we know the end goal then we don't get bogged down with the work. Because that's very easy to happen. So you're working, working, working for God. So you work, you know, you're studying every day, you're learning every day, you're serving every day, you're serving in the church, you're serving your neighbor, you know, you're not... You're not a lazy Christian anymore. You're, you're doing the work that faith and, and God's purpose requires. And do you find yourself getting burned out? Sometimes we do. 
If you find yourself getting burned out, it's very likely that you've gotten your eyes off the purpose, the ultimate purpose. And this is where it comes into view, in your view of your purpose, (coughs) is not a bunch of work and the ungrateful people you're doing it for who ain't saying thanks all the time. And the fatigue that's in your mind and in your body and in your feet. And the aches and pains that are in your body that is no longer that young person who is full of energy. Like you really need the power of God here to do this stuff when you get this old. I say this old. I'm not near as old as you guys. And, you know, like all of that. And I have to deal with that. What? And so it's. I need the power of the Spirit. True. The power of the Spirit. We just saw in Philippians 2 that God is going to work in us when? When we're obedient. Right? The power of the Spirit flows into those who have their minds set on the goal, on the prize. And ultimately, these things are for the glorification of Christ. Not the glorification of me. Him. And why Him? You know, he's, who, where do we find Christ first in the scripture? In Genesis 3, he's the seed of the woman. Actually, we see him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So we see him right after mankind is created. But where do we see him last in the scripture? In the very last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, he says, I'm coming quickly. He says it three times in that chapter. Yes, I'm coming quickly. I'm the seed of the woman who's going to defeat, bruise him on the head, the serpent. I'm going to save mankind. I'm the seed of the woman who's going to, who is the Savior, the Messiah. I am the one true King of all humanity. Right? The whole purpose of this is humanity. Not angels. Angels are servants, always will be. For humanity. The whole thing was done for humanity. And who is the Savior of humanity? Is Jesus Christ, the truly human. And He's there in the beginning. And He's there at the end. And He says it in the opening chapter of Revelation. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm there in the beginning. I'm there in the end. I am the King, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the High Priest, the Cornerstone, the Husband of humanity. Saved humanity. And those who reject me are going to be cast from my face forever. That's in verse 9. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 Cast from my face and from the power of my glory. But for those who have obeyed the gospel, which is us who have believed, a future glory in Him, He is glorified in you and you in Him. In verse 12. And that's why of all things in human history, And really into eternity, because eternity is going to be filled with humanity. God, humanity, and angels. Angels are servants. But we reign with Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Same true of Israel. Israel is the bride of God. This is stated. And there will be one kingdom of men. Men and women. Oh, mankind. For of all eternity in a city that is made of virtue, of love, of God, that is illumined, lit lit up. There's no sun anymore. It is illumined, excuse me, by Jesus Christ. And that's why He and He alone is to be glorified. The ultimate goal, the ultimate goal for living worthy That should be four. For living worthy is not the works themselves, but the glory of Christ. And if 
if it happens right now when you hear that, that that doesn't jazz you as much as you think it should, just give it time because it will. It will. As you come to know Christ more, and you will love Him more, and you will find yourself only desiring His promotion, His glory, His, you know, His excellency, and not your own. If you are hoping that maybe there was, you know, some of you being glorified, and there is some of you being glorified here, but it's not alone, you know, it's in Him When He's glorified, we're glorified in Him. As you come to know Him more, this will become more and more important to you. And the more that happens, the more you're going to be free. But when will you really, you and I, when will we be ultimately free? Because we're never going to reach a place in this side of eternity where we're going to be continually selfless. Like, there's no danger of us being selfish anymore. There's no danger of us falling back into pride. There's no danger. Like, we're sinners, and we're going to sin. It's when that occurs, when, when Jesus returns and we return with him, that is going to be when we truly become free. When his glory shines in us the way that it's supposed to, that's when we'll be ultimately free. And that's when we'll be ultimately human. What does it mean to be human? And that's a great question. A lot of people in this world would answer that in in ways that uh, God would not. There's one true human is Jesus Christ. And when we're ultimately like him, we will find our true humanity. And so I close with uh, this is a quote from uh, John Stott. When Jesus is glorified in you, you're glorified with him. He writes, it is a breathtaking concept that even now, before the end, this double glorification can take place, though only according to grace. Double glorification, what he means there is the glorification of Christ and the glorification of you with him. Not alone, but with him. And that means that even now, uh, that future state, When we're glorified with him, we can experience now in time. To the level that we will then? No. So, in essence, if then in the eternity is when we'll truly be human, right now we're kind of poor excuses for humans. And any one of us who have grown up in any way in the spiritual life would agree with that statement. You know, am I truly as human as God would want me to be? Not in the way that the world says. The world says, hey, I'm human. Right? What does that mean? It has always meant I make mistakes. <laughs> what God means when he says human is the way that he created humans to be. Perfect, righteous, holy, blameless, unspotted. And that's what we'll be. Right now we struggle. However... The, as Paul prays for here, that we would be worthy of this calling means that we are always pursuing it. So, again, uh, finally, application-wise, <clears throat> to have God's purpose be our purpose. To have our faith be that which means I will do what God tells me to do. So it's a faith that has works. Those things will open up the energy of God, the power of God to flow through you. And you will do it. And there's an ultimate purpose to that. And the ultimate purpose is to glorify Christ, not to glorify ourselves. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the glory of Christ within us. Thank you that through him and him alone you have made us to be... um, your children with the power to live this spiritual life that you've given us. May we, Father, comprehend and live that life to the fullest and to not settle for anything less. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.